approximately 350,000 cubic yards of packed dirt. There is reason to believe that the dirt was carried in woven baskets, each holding about 35 pounds, more than 100 basket loads to the cubic yard. Using the estimate of 20 minutes as the time required to make a round trip with one basket load, one arrives at the astounding total of more than a million man days of work. That is, one man toiling from sun up till sundown for more than 4,500 years. The population of the area probably never exceeded 3,000. Occupancy and this amazingly industrious mound building must have continued over a long period. Prodigious energy in glorification of some deity, for all these mounds are of the ceremonial or domiciliary class. They're not burial mounds. Atop most of them, if not all, were temples. Ramp construction is a... moment in man's history, the drilling of the first well for oil, which ushered in a new era of abundant, low-cost energy that changed our way of life, improved our standard of living, and set the stage for the greatest period of industrial and economic growth in the history of mankind. The story of Drake and his backers is a story of free enterprise in the American way. Braving hardships and the risk of financial disaster, the oil pioneers gambled and won. Today, that spirit of enterprise is still America's greatest asset. But nowadays, finding oil is a far more costly business than in Colonel Drake's day. Colonel Drake had to pay Uncle Billy approximately a dollar a foot for a well less than 70 feet deep. Today, most of the oil near the surface has been discovered. And oil men must sometimes drill as deep as 25,000 feet at costs as high as 100... This is the inaugural episode of Esoteric America. I'm going to read to you guys the description. And I came up with this earlier so it could change as the show evolves. But this is how I think I've described the show that we're going to do. Maybe a weird way to start the podcast, but here we go. Touring the strange, mystical, and esoteric threads woven into the fabric of North America, join Mark. Roman, Chad, and a new local researcher each episode 
as we dive into countries, regions, states, counties, cities, towns, neighborhoods, parks, all in the interest of unraveling the occult knots that tie history, culture, religion in with all of the fringe elements that you may not have realized were at play in your own backyard. Could use a little editing, but that's the gist of it. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Get that with like some like hyperspace beats in the back. Mm. Hyperspace. Right on. Traveling aspect. So let's get rolling. We're here. I'm Mystic Mark. We've got my two honorary first time in the game co-hosts on this show. All three of us are new to it, but we've got a special first time co-host. We've got a, a fellow podcaster. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Roman, start first. Hello, I am Roman, otherwise known as the online pseudonym of Homie Romy from the originally from the Rising from the Ashes show. And, you know, this is a, a big interest of, of mine, as I believe it is Chad and also Mark's this this esoteric foundation of the the country of, of America specifically. And, you know, like like paying homage to and I, I consider Chad to be an OG in this field as well, as he's written books on the on the topic of his specific area of Michigan, which I'll, I'll you know, I'll let him pay homage to himself when he does his intro. But he's one of the people that I when I started digging into these topics that you can go and be like, wow, there look at this type of symbolism, this esoteric art, you know, in these places and, you know, some road symbolism with through the, through the Freemasons, you know, building the roads to different lodges and just started really, you know, understanding a lot more about the, about the foundation of the country. And it, it really just, it goes so much deeper than I could have ever imagined. So I think what we're trying to do here is really laying it all out city by city, town by town, county by county, road by road, person to person, you know, really trying to figure it out because it's, there's, there's so much, there's so much. And I couldn't be more stoked to be here with you, everybody. So well said, brother. I appreciate you guys, and thank you. Yes, that's me. My intro was done. I'm done talking. I swear. <laughs> now, right now, done. Awesome. Done. And I'll bridge you over to Chad. Chad, yes, as Roman said, is an expert, a verifiable expert in his own local area. So it's really a treat to have him here with us. I don't know if we could do it without him. So, Chad, please tell the folks listening in who you are why you're here all that good stuff yeah first thank you mark and thank you Romy. appreciate it very much to be here i'm excited long time esoteric researcher been at this for over a decade now new podcaster first time host tonight so excited about that but like the guy said i'm into researching local landscapes sacred landscapes ancient history and how they all coordinate together. My local area happens to be Detroit, done a ton of research into Detroit and the Midwest in general. And I'm really excited to see other people going out into the streets and doing the same. So anything I can do to help and inspire other people and help along the way, I'm, I'm here for it, man. Let's go. Rock on. Yes. And uh, go, man. I am Mystic Mark, host of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and joining me is my girlfriend, Tara. Tara is also here with me. Tara, you want to say hi? Hello. 
Did you guys? Oh, try again. Hi, everyone. I'm Tara. <clears throat> She's uh, here. Hello. She sounds less enthusiastic hey. than she actually is. Trust me, she really wants to be here, I promise. So anyways, without further ado, <laughs> we have our guest today, someone who is actually a supporter of my podcast, maybe even a supporter of Romy's podcast. I haven't checked Romy's patronage and also a fan of chats. It's a pleasure to have you here, TR. You're familiar with all of us, but we're not quite familiar with you as much. I know you a little bit from your generosity and you being a big part of the patron family that I've been growing over the past few months. So please tell us, first of all, where you're from, what you'll be talking about here today, and uh, maybe a little bit about yourself, how you got into this stuff. Sure. I grew up in Northwest Pennsylvania, about halfway in between Lake Erie and Pittsburgh, middle of nowhere, Rust Belt town. And much like some of the topics we'll talk about today, I traveled westward across the Ohio Valley and found myself in Indiana. Then I took a big detour and I traveled coast to coast for a year before I landed in North Carolina for a while. And then I got my wife pregnant and we started a family. So we moved back to Indiana to be closer to family. And how I got into this stuff, I have done my own digital e-commerce creative business for, oh, I've been working with different businesses for over 10 years, but my own LLC for about seven years. And I sit at a computer all day long, making stuff, designing, illustrating, editing photos. So I listened to podcasts all day long. You know, it didn't used to be mostly this topic. It was a lot of sports and stuff like that. But something about this hooked and reeled me in, and particularly Mike Wan and Ross Ben's work, a big inspiration. And I happened to find this little town that I ended up getting pushed into due to the pandemic of sorts that I was living on the 40th parallel. So that sent me down a rabbit hole mm. and I had a giant list of notes and I've finally put them into a presentable format that I'm hoping to share. With nice. you guys today. I nice. love it. I love it. I love it. Hold on, Romy. I got to hit one of our first sound effects. He said the 40th parallel. That is a hot phrase on this show. If you're listening to Esoteric America, you better know what the 40th parallel is. And we will have Ross, Ben, and Michael Wan on for their own respective home states. And I got to apologize, TR, because I just assumed you're Indiana born and bred, but you're actually from Pittsburgh, which is an even weirder place. Not that Indiana is not also weird, but Pittsburgh is equally strange and mystical and also kind of fits into this 40th parallel alignment as well. So very cool. I hope you carry that energy with you through this conversation. What's, what's that Roman? I think you said Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, halfway in between Pittsburgh and Lake Erie in a oh. middle of nowhere town. But I was about an hour and a half outside of Pittsburgh. So, you know, everyone claims yeah, but that's, that that's, from Pittsburgh. see, that shows how much of an East coaster I am. And Roman is not because I know that people within a two hour drive of Pittsburgh claim Pittsburgh. That's how it works. They're much farther from any other city. You guys out in California, you got like 20 cities to pick from. You can be like, well, I like the Raiders. Okay, great. Well, you hey, live in say, fucking say, Mount stop Shasta. The phone, stop the phone. Did you know that about me, Mark? <laughs> you like the Raiders? I'm a diehard fanatical Raiders fan. Look at this right here. Oh, my God. We're already... Maybe sports will just have to be a part of this podcast because they're in the... They're ingrained in the the fabric of America, as much as I want to resist that, I, I think we're already off to that on that foot. So 
here we are. I, think, I, don't, I know you guys are hosting. I don't want to hog the intro here, but I think that's part of why I got into this. I'm trying to figure it out, right? I'm like half in both worlds. Like Mike, talk, Mike Juan talks about ball consciousness, tree consciousness. And like, I'm a football fanatic, but I also realize it's all nonsense and mm. probably magical in some kind of way. So this local research, you talked about foundation earlier, Romy, is what I think has grounded me and not like in that pursuit of the boogeyman stuff. And so delving in the local area just really grounded me out in this research of stuff. Good, good. I'm, I'm proud of you for uh, getting that grounding because, you know, at some point in everybody's life, as we're flying around, you know, you land on a branch and you touch that tree, you get grounded within the earth and goodness and the downloads start to happen. And that formation foundation within the consciousness comes and it's beautiful. And I will say this on the sports, played sports growing up, you know, and so there's there's a level of it that, you know, when you attach massive amounts of money, millions and mil billions of dollars to it, obviously it becomes construed. That being said, there is a lot of occulted ties to it, you know, because who else has a lot of money, right? It's people that, you know, may or may not be tied to some sort of hierarchical situations, occulted situations from time to time. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of like gematria people who will say that everything, every game is planned out to a T, you mm. know, and they'll be like, they can tell you an entire political story based off of one football game. Well, I'm glad you brought and up gematria crazy. because I think that's a big part of what we're going to, you know, examine throughout this series, you know, the, the mathematical proportions of areas and how things line up. I mean, I'm sure you know about Peter Shampoo's work and how he draws all these mathematical ley line arcomb geometries on the earth using these different sacred sites. So I think there's an element to gematria, not just in sports, but in the planning of our our world, our, our countries, our cities, and so on and so forth. But today we're putting the magnifying lens over the specific area of Anderson, Indiana. So if... Roman and Chad and Tara, if you guys don't have any final thoughts before we enter into TR's presentation, we'll just get going here. What do you guys say, huh? I just wanted to say that, yeah, I, I find it very grounding and very necessary for myself, especially, to be looking into this because I've found it very, very challenging and very confusing to balance these worlds, even even though being surrounded by it, but uh, yeah, being grounded and getting grounded to even be able to process this information and then understand it and start to see it and visualize it and live it. It's just essential your handbook for the apocalypse i'm all over the place but yeah also with the the gematria and peter shampoo's work with the shapes the sacred geometry shapes the palladians which is pretty much the extent of my research has been they talk about the about sound and how we make these patterns of or our earth is made up of these patterns of sound that I think were, is what Peter Shampoo is mapping out. <sighs> yeah. So 
That's what I have to say. Awesome. I dig it. Awesome, we dig it. Thank you, Tara. Is, uh, the sound resonance yeah. for show. Right on. So, Chad, any thoughts before we get with the, the presentation that TR has carefully prepared for us? I'm excited, TR. I looked it over, and man, I'm really excited. I can tell you did a lot of hard work. So, looking forward to what you got to say. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying I didn't, I, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I copied and pasted a lot of stuff from the internet, but I think what I'm trying to do is aggregate. That's fine. A bunch of you gotta other cite your sources. It's nonfiction. Yeah. You know, we can't do this work alone. hundred percent, hundred percent. So, yeah, anyone not familiar with Anderson, I guess a good place to start was the location. So similar to that, I talked about, like Mark, you mentioned anyone within two hours of a major city claims they're from that city. Well, Anderson is like what I would consider on the, the most outer outreach of Indianapolis. It would be like the farthest suburb that you would potentially consider to still be Indianapolis. And I'll get into my presentation a little later as to why I consider it that way. But it's about 45 north, 45 minutes north of Indianapolis and central, central Indiana. And it's a pretty small town. It's not an economic hub or anything like that. And I think that's what's intriguing about this version of the research is that it, this is not a major city, but it synchronizes and rhymes with stuff along the 40th parallel in some of those more major cities like Columbus, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and that kind of stuff, being a small town. So I think when you think about Anderson, the most, you know, intriguing part of Anderson is Mound State Park. And as a personal story, you know, I had just moved here. We moved outside of Indianapolis. We'd been living there for a year because housing market was insane. I needed to buy a house for my kids. So Anderson made sense. It was much more affordable and I could keep cash flow for the family. So it was a practical decision. But shortly after getting here, I realized they had a mound and I had been listening to all this Ross Ben and Mike Wan stuff. And I was just like, I got to go. So I found that there was a nature tour day there and I took my daughter to it and got a tour from the state parks department. And that's really what sent me down this path here. So for people that are listening and not watching, Mound State Park is a series of mounds, right? It's not one mound, it's a series of mound structures. And it, it was built because of this Tipton Till Plain. So this giant, what do you want to consider, Diluvian flood era, potentially over 10,000 years ago, was blanketed by a thick layer of ice. So it's flat. Indiana is so flat. So it's optimal for this mound that was built as a sky clock because they could do controlled burns and get this flat to the horizon view from the mound to orient themselves through major celestial events. Uh, they attribute it to the Adena and Hopewell, but like that's a categorization. I don't really know what this, that means at this point, but it's pre-colonization Native American, whatever we can attribute that to. I, I think some things that I'll tie in interesting later about the controlled burns is I think to just piggyback in the back of everyone's ear is the natural gas plethora of supply that's in Anderson, Indiana, or was at one point. So when you, sorry, when you went into this mound state park, did you notice anything peculiar what was the situation like you know boots on the ground as our field researcher here in anderson indiana did you notice a feeling did you notice that the place was well maintained poorly maintained what's the vibe like there it's epically maintained and i think that's the larger question that i still have that i maybe i'll get your guys' perspective on doing this is like 
why was this preserved, right? You read, you read Ross Ben's work and so many mounds were destroyed, built over top of, but this one has been preserved in pristine condition and it's an exhibit for the state. The state's proud of it. They do tours, guided right. tours, they explain it. There's, you know, a lot of the images I'm using here are displayed on placards throughout the park, kind of controlling the narrative and explaining it. And I'm definitely giving you the narrative as they're saying it. I will speculate the hell out of it with you guys. But it's interesting to me why this place was preserved. I don't have a good answer to that. But the vibe was this is being kept sacred for some reason. Interesting. The So, yeah, the exoteric story, you know, is always what's going to be told when you go for like, you know, guided tours that are, you know, held by the Forest Service or what, what have you. But just first glance at looking at the shape and the design of the mound. I mean, it has just an... And might I say an esoteric vibe to it? I mean, you know, I know Chad does a lot of work with gateways stuff and symbolism. And I mean, I'm getting a big kind of gateway vibe from this mound, the main mound here at Mound State Park. What, what do you guys feel on on just that, the general shape of it here? Yeah, I'm with you, Robin. I mean, the circular shape is definitely the shape of a gateway and of course all these mounds like other ones i know they're aligned to the solstices and the equinoxes and all the so-called heavenly events and when you have so-called gateway mounds or symbolism that's the first thing you look for celestial alignments and i know all these mounds all around mound state park all had alignments and i got a question for you thomas when you did your guided tour did they go through any of the ancient legends of the park or was it, you know, kind of more of a mainstream tour? It was very mainstream. It was funny at the time. Cause I, I asked, you know, at the time I wasn't aware of mounds that were used for other purposes other than burial. That was like my only knowledge of mounds at that time was burial mounds. So, you know, I asked if it was a burial mound and they said no, but some of the other mounds in the property are when referring to the great mound that you're saying is more of a gateway is not a burial mound but there was one chief allegedly buried in it. And then the one more esoteric thing they said to me that I could not find any sources for on this is that they talked about one of the mounds and I can't recall exact one being an earth engine. And which is really interesting to me from the orgone perspective, because hmm. they would bury things in it to communicate with the earth. And this lady gave me this example, but I can't back it up with any stories anywhere. So trust me on it. But she said that like, if they had a poor deer harvest that season, then they would, they would find layers of deers built buried in a layer. And then maybe a layer on top of it, they'd find something like potatoes, like rotten potatoes, I don't, but they found layers stratified with different things that were buried. And they attributed that to being like an earth engine of some sort way to communicate with the land for their needs. Mm, like a, a heightened manifested communication device. Interesting. I, I definitely think that, you know, just intuitively speaking, there's probably a heavy electromagnetic connection to this. I mean, if there's multiple mounds, right, it's one thing to have like just, you know, one, one burial mound or something, but this, since this is mounds state park specifically pluralized, you know, there, there's gotta be some, some heavy celestial or electromagnetic connection. That's, that's beautiful. I'm done rambling. Let's go on to the next slide here. So I think the, the, again, this main story is that this was a trade hub and exchange of ceremony. So that this wasn't just occupied by the Adena or the Hopewell. There's some attribution that also the Mississippi mound builders, as they like kind of categorize these different cultures, would all kind of commute to here. And this was, it, which really rhymes 
with what Indiana is today, right? It's the crossroads of America. It's a point, it's, you know, Romy, you talked about if you've been here or not before the, we went live here is like, no, but I probably drove through it. And that's like the reality of what this is now in Indiana. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what they're saying it was back then too, is that, you know, the Lenape people, the Adina, the Hopo, whoever they were, were traveling from different areas of the country and passing through here and having group ceremonies. They said they would come back here for, you know, marriage ceremonies to unify people together for big holidays and celebrations, because this was the place that you could tell exactly what time to align with the sky clock to do these ceremonies. No matter where you're in the country, you could travel to here. And this was the place you could get it hundred percent right with the sky. And, and they say that because they found a lot of materials. You probably heard this story before with other mounts, but they found copper, they found mica, they found obsidian, which is interesting, seashells. So that like clearly from all parts of the country, people were coming to what is now Anderson and the mound for some sort of group activity together. I see a cave. Yeah, is it, is it the cave picture down there? Yeah, we can get to that. Yeah. Okay. You want to jump right there now? Uh, Chad, were you going to ask a question there, bud? Well, I was just going to point out, I find this, these circular earthen mounds here we're looking at super interesting when we're talking about trade. I live up in Michigan where the copper actually came from. And about 10 miles from my house, we have identical earthen mounds, same, you know, same gateway, just like it. And they say the same thing. They were just used for people passing through basically on the trade circuits. So it's so like as they came from the upper peninsula of Michigan, they would have came down, stopped, it's called Lake City in Michigan, where they have this exact mound where they would have been able to tell that the dates, the time, where they were in time and space, and then they would have traveled south and ended up down here in Indiana, been able to do the same thing and probably would have traveled either east or west, Ohio or to Cahokia trading. And, you know, I think these mounds could have been not only consciousness gateways or whatever but they could have been little landmarkers you know guiding the way for trade there's some reasons later that i'll i think we'll back that up i'm tracking exactly what you guys are saying and i think i'll continue to make a couple more points that will make it even more portally than we already think it is oh (laughs) awesome yes I thought the obsidian thing was interesting because like where in the hell are they getting volcanic glass from at this point in the central part of America? But if you follow any like the flood idea of like the central part of this country being an ocean at one point, that maybe makes a little more sense. Roby, you pointed out the cave. So that's my next slide here. So I think if we talk, if we think about that same kind of mind frame, and I know you, Romy, you've been talking about moisture a lot lately. And I, I, since going into this, I've started going to the park and running. I'm trying to get my fat ass in shape before the birth of my second child. Cause I'm going to be carrying two babies around all day. So I've decided to run at this park. Like, you know, I need to get outside. So I'm like three days a week going to this park and just trail running as much as I can to try to get in shape. But it's backed up this thought that I have is that have you ever seen a meander map? I should have pulled this up, but I've seen a meander map of the Mississippi river and the way the river moves over time. It, you know, it's not a static thing. It's really fluctuating and mm-hmm. the white river is attributed in history to meandering a lot. And what it also does is it seeps a lot. So it creates these river caves because the river is constantly moving and expanding out and contracting and it creates these cave systems. And it also talks about the water picking up all the minerals from that meandering seeping river, which turns the conditions in the area very alkaline for these small caves. So we've got moisture, we've got water movement, we've got alkaline, we've got different rock structure. 
but you can't see the caves today. You can't find them anywhere today. A lot of people, there's a lot of local lore about people trying to find the caves. And there's some different stories as to why you can't find them. But one of the common stories is this later goes on in the story to become an amusement park at one point, which ding, ding, ding. If you think amusement parks in that whole world, a kid went missing and the the caves were blown up pretty much is what the story is that it was too much of a safety hazard for the park. So the caves were dynamited shot. What? And there is supposedly a beach tree in the park, which I've yet to find that it says back entry to cave to kind of validate this story, but it, there's no historical pushback on there being caves in Mount state park. It seems like there clearly was. And when I'm running, I can find these little, like the picture you pointed out, Romy of these little seeps that look like caves. And maybe one day I'll work up the courage to go climb in one, but for now, I'm just observing. I was, when I was in Indianapolis, we drove down, I think it was like near Bloomington and we found a seep. It was made out of lime, limestone and there was kind of a, a really small river flowing and it was like a little waterfall, but you can go behind the waterfall and it was like, I mean, a bear could sleep in there. It was pretty big. Fascinating. Yeah. Caves are, I mean, a big interest of mine because they're just because you know the nature of a cave is esoteric right it's hidden behind a wall like what's going on in this cave and what what uses to have caves had to our ancient ancestors you know i i think there's there's something with this cavernous earth that we might live on and oh i like this map i like dude that that this mound is giving me real atlantean vibes as well the classic concentric rings if you think about it being flooded in the middle of the country, I think it makes a lot more sense, but that's probably a whole other topic in itself. But I think that seeping and meandering part that I bring up this map next to show that like my theory is that at one point or currently there is still running water under the mounds and there is in fact caves underneath the mound, whatever that means practically or functionally. I don't know. I have a lot of wild thoughts we could throw around, but they don't really talk about that in the state park. Like, public literature but it seems to me that if this river is meandering seeping that there's either running water under the mounds or existing caves from previously running water under the mounds so you have this like harmonic resonance right of the rock on the 40th with water running under it starts to build up a pretty good case Mm, I like that I like the water and the harmonic resonance because if there's water around there is some sort of resonant vibe going on with in tune with the earth and grid, because as we know, water carries energy, there's, you know, elementals going on and, and helping the flow of water and, and being, you know, being in control of the, the water, the water resource itself. These, these, I mean, I know the word entity is kind of like a strong word, you know, entity, but I, I, I'm a, I'm a spiritual man. I, I believe in, I believe in the, the elemental spirits and, you know, you got the, the classic caves and water and mounds, you know, you, you're having all this melting pot of these, these ingredients for a, a soup that could contain some sort of entity type creature that, you know, I mean, could, I mean, indigenous cultures speak a lot of, there being, you know, their ancestors coming from under the ground or retreating back under the ground and, and having that association. And so this is super fascinating. I am really enjoying this TR. You're amazing. I appreciate you, brother. I've been uh, staring at this far too long for probably about three to five months at this point. I think the next thing on this image, again, for anyone listening, 
it's worth checking this out video wise, but this map towards the bottom here that you can see the individual little circles on this, the IU University, which is Indian University, did an archaeological dig. And these are where they found buried poles, basically. They don't know what their function was. They think, again, celestial alignment is what they attribute it to. And they can tie a lot of these back to certain stars, which I hit on later, which stars. But they don't really know. They're basically posts in the ground. But they're not structured in a way that it looks like they were holding up anything or supporting anything. They kind of seem all over the place. So that's why the tie back to the stars there. But I find it also interesting in the map above it. This black is what they did the archaeological dig and they neglected most of the other mounds, which are more attributed to being burial mounds. And they said, well, let's just dig up the great mound. So the great mound has the heaviest concentration of the archaeological dig, which is pretty interesting considering that's probably the one that the water runs closest to. Yeah. It's a shame that they dig these things hollow. I don't know if that's the case, but it seems like maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here in this presentation, but it seems like there's a, a process, like there's a recipe at play here. There's elements, there's a technique, there's things that go inside of it and they have a purpose. It's not just like, oh yeah, let's store our stuff underground, you know, especially when you brought up the point of like layering like rotten potatoes and deer and like that's a big part of a lot of cultures is, you know, offerings. It's not just Native Americans that practice the ritual offering. So, yeah, wow. Yeah, I think it'll come up later too, but that idea of sacrifice, right? If you're like struggling to harvest enough deer to feed yourself and then you sacrifice <laughs> three and put it in the ground, there's some element of like dedication to the land there in some kind of way. And so I think you talk preservation of the mound. This is a great segue into this next one. So a mound and a mound state park is largely attributed to this guy, Frederick Bronnerberg. He is the man who is our hero of our story who saved the mound and preserved it from all those nasty looters over the years and kept it from being plowed. I would really like your guys' help on this. I've been trying to figure this out, but he is attributed that his origin story is that he came from Germany, sent by his mother to avoid being recruited by the military. But what war was going on in the 1800s in Germany? The only thing I can find is 1812, which is they, France, uh, right? That that's most likely because in those days, whether there was a war or not, you were recruited Draft. into the military. Yeah. It did, I, I don't think it mattered because you got to keep in mind German Germany is like very Prussian too and the Prussian culture was extremely militaristic so that's my guess I'm not an expert though so anyway that's his origin story I mean he he fled right he didn't want to join the army so he goes to this new land that's promised to them and he arrives in Pennsylvania where he meets his wife, Barbara Easter, which for all my wordplay fans, I think there's some fun stuff going on with that. And then he travels westward, right? Without, without any purpose. And this, again, I'll branch into some more um, as it was spoken to me at this tour. I, I couldn't find a lot to back this up, but they communicated to me from the parks department that it was his divine purpose. I wrote that in here, the Quaker divine purpose. And that being a Quaker you were in the, of the belief that everyone had, you know, a purpose from God, that you had one thing you were supposed to do, a job that was your divine purpose. And so when he made it to the mound, there's a lot of stories as to why he settled here. Ultimately, the park says this divine purpose, but there's other some stories about a daughter dying here. And then the wife was too mentally ill to go on and they had to just stay and tough it out. There's stories about oxen dying, wagons breaking. It's not real clear why he traveled from Pennsylvania to Anderson and then made home here with his family. And then 
is attributed at kind of protecting and preserving the mound. Yeah, in in general, while while looking at you know these topics of syncretism and stuff, and and the foundation of these in towns, you know, and looking at like the potential of like Masonic ties to it, you know, depending on I, I don't know the story of Bronenberg and his financial study or like what what kind of business he was into. He was a millman in a tannery. In a tannery, and what, was he relatively successful? Well, I think his ownership of this land became very successful for him. And they would later, I'll show this later, they sell the land at some point. And I watched a lot of videos from the Anderson Historical Society. And in it, they make a comment that like, is there any Bronnerbergs in the room? Because they're giving a presentation. Any Bronnerberg? There's usually always a Bronnerberg here. They're one of the most important families in Anderson. So I don't really have facts to back that up, but like heard that, right? Like they're still a staple in the community currently. So they obviously did well enough to like establish themselves. Okay. Okay. Because the, you know, it's interesting that, you know, you have other people going to mounds and taking them over and purposefully building things on top of them. Chad, help me out here. There is a, I think it was part of a world's fair up there that later became a tire company that was built on top of a burial mound. Uh, well, they had the World's Fair. They tore down the burial mound to build the World's Fair. And when they tore down the World's Fair, they ended up building the Ford factories in the same area. The Ford factories. For some, I, for some reason, I was thinking Goodyear Tire Factory. That was that was what was in my mind. But it's a Ford car factory on top of a burial mound. That's that's super interesting. And so the op, the opposition here is this Bronenberg character, but he's preserving the mirror or the, the mounds. So you have, you have an opposition to that, which is, you don't, you don't hear a lot in these circles, you know, it's usually the other way around. So I'm wondering if this gets, gets sticky or bloody for him at some situation, some point in the road. I think it's a great next climb here. So, you know, he's attributed, you know, preserve the mound, pass on his beliefs and stewardship to his children who also guarded the mound. They fought to protect them against looters and farm plow destruction. So the looters thing, right, implies that there was something to be looted, that this isn't just an earthen mound. There's something there to be looted. And I would assume more so than just arrowheads, that there's some sort of something being looted. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just to, just because we were talking about our boy Rick Osman earlier, he brings up, you know, these treasures and of the, of these caves, the caves of the golden bear, you know, and like in his book, he has some pretty solid evidence that the ancient Romans were here and there was some cultures here that in the mainstream version of history were never supposed to be here and there has been coins found and some really interesting stuff so you know i'm wondering if ronenberg had some inside information about what was really going on here at mountain state park okay again like i'm super influenced by a lot of people that talk about this on the internet so i'm going to give a little wordplay shout out to slick dissident he broke down the name for me and in dutch Bronnerberg means fountain mountain. So Bronner is fountain, Berg is mountain. And I will 
when we get to it later, I'll explain why Fountain Mountain is important. But I agree with you, Romy, that this seems a little predestined or predictive programming or maybe just a flat out lie altogether. Who knows? Well, <laughs> I do want to add real quick that in my one of my favorite books that I've gotten in the last year, it talks about the Quakers and their relationship with the Native Americans in New England and how they had more of a mutual understanding than maybe the Indians and the Puritans. So I wouldn't be surprised, especially considering how late this is, that, you know, maybe he caught on to some of what the other Quakers who had been here longer were doing and how they had maybe a mutually beneficial relationship with Native Americans. I feel like a lot of people dismiss the Puritans, the Quakers, the Shakers as just being like crazy Christians, but they had a lot of occult and esoteric ideas mixed into their religion and when they interacted with the native americans they realized like oh these people have a lot of the same ideas we do so it doesn't surprise me that a quaker would become a steward for the mounds and not for any intention that you might expect colonists to have because they're very spiritual people and they recognize that native americans were god's children too so yeah. Just tie in the syncretism a little bit. And uh, shout out, Mark. I've never heard the word synchronicity until I started listening to your podcast. But fuck yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'm glad I could introduce you to that. <laughs> it's, it's I didn't invent it. Carl Jung did. <laughs> I'm, I'm aware. I've done a little bit of backtracking, but you know, it, it blows my mind all the time now, right? So, like, I grew up in Northwest Pennsylvania. I grew up, my grandpa lives about 15 minutes north of me of where I grew up and he does the taxes for the Amish. He works with the Amish, like Pennsylvania Dutch was a part of me growing up. Like I was around it all the time. Like they would trade horse manure to my grandfather to do his taxes and like all kinds of shit like that. So then I'm reading about this Dutch Quaker that like travels from Pennsylvania to Indiana and preserves the mounds. Then I find my ass doing a presentation trying to talk about these mounds at the same time. Wait, you're telling me the Amish still got to do their taxes. They don't have a religious exemption or some shit. What the fuck? They still file. I don't want to turn this into the anti-Amish thing, but no, this is the anti-IRS shit, bro. Fuck the IRS. Leave the Amish alone. Yeah, they file, and they, they don't even believe in computers. How are they paying taxes? <laughs> it would be like, hey, it. I have this. I have seven children, and my grandpa's like, well, I'm gonna need all seven of their social security numbers. And like, we don't have social security numbers. For the kids it's like, well, then you can't claim them. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're free agents. Let them be free. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. But I, there is this thing that I, that I guess I wanted, the reason why I'm drawn to this and sharing to this is that I think, you know, what we talk about with like the 40th, the, these locations that are related in different ways across the country, there's a way that events in time rhymes in some kind of way. And I don't know the why behind it, but it seems to me after doing this, that there's rhyming you'll see throughout the story here. And then there's a weird rhyme in me telling the story some kind of way. I'm sure Chad has something to add to that. Chad, what are your thoughts on what TR just brilliantly put together? Well, especially the point he just made about along, along the line, similar, similar places. I happened to notice one today and we're talking about synchronicities. I was looking at your PDF and across at the bottom of every one of your PDFs, you actually have the latitude down there, 40.1053. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but I was watching Skinwalker Ranch today. And the same time I was researching your thing, they popped up the latitude and it's 40.1. 
down you, to the decimal point. Yeah. Skinwalker so, Ranch is on the 40th I mean, too? That was total 40.1 down to the decimal point where he has in the bottom of every one Boom. of his PDF pages. And it literally oh. popped up above my computer on my TV. I paused it. My wife's like, what are you doing? I had the computer up by the TV looking. I was like, yeah, it's a match, man. So yeah, the synchronicities <laughs> along this line whoa. you're talking about are insane, dude. Whoa, whoa, and halfway whoa. between there, I came across another one. Mound City is halfway between between there and that's Mount that's City in West City. Virginia, right? Mound City, that's like that sliver of West Virginia that's in between, or is that Pennsylvania? Oh, this is a different Mound City. Another oh, Mound City. there's oh, I'm thinking Moundsville. I'm thinking Moundsville. Yeah, yeah, I never heard of this Mound City. I was just following the line once I saw that Skinwalker was over there, and about halfway between Indiana and Skinwalker is Mound City, Missouri. I think it was. Ooh, now we're getting into something. Now we're getting into something very interesting. So you talked about the rivers. I visited a spot in Indianapolis called Broad Ripple. It's named after the ripple in the river, the White River. And there's a spot in Broad Ripple Park where allegedly they had one of these white cities, one of these, you know, state fair type deals, right? That uh, the world's fair type deal. Very strange. And there was also one right near where I grew up, Savin Rock, West Haven, and they had a trolley system that connected my neighborhood to the center of West Haven, which is the town over. So, wow, I like what I'm seeing here, brother. Take us into this next slide. Currently, I have goosebumps. I just want to say again, I don't want to do this the whole show. But if you want to take a guess where I lived at before I moved to Anderson, I bet you could guess it first try. West Haven? <laughs> Bro Broad Ripple. Oh, Broad Ripple. I'm sorry. I, I forgot that I mentioned that too. Broad Ripple. Yeah. Wait, so when were you in Broad Ripple? What year? I moved I moved into this house May of last year. So before that, I was in Broad Ripple for a year and a half. Wow, dude. We were in Broad Ripple at the same time, believe it or not. That's sick. Can, can we go into, I mean, I don't want to di divert too much, but the name Broad Ripple is incredibly interesting. And is there just a little bit of context as to the name? Broad Ripple's in Indianapolis, so it's not quite near Anderson, but TR probably has some more to it. What you want on Broad Ripple, Romy? I can give you like kind well, of what the view of it is. I, I mean, I, I just, <laughs> I think ripple effect. I think a ripple in the water, and I think of the mound, you know, looks like almost like what happens when you drop a pebble in water. It kind of has that vibe of like right in the middle of the mound is where the rock goes, and then the waves are coming out. So talking about water and resonance earlier, you know, when you were, if you were to put a bowl of water on top of an amplifier, you know, and play like a C major chord, right? You have like kind of a shape coming and that's kind of what that mound almost kind of looks like, you know, is either a ripple or it looks like some sort of somewhat sort of vibrational shape. Right. And I don't know the dimensions of these mounds, but like, I am very curious now to dig a little bit deeper into the actual dimensions of the mounds and if they hold any sort of a significance to the actual incremental size and the, and the structure of it that way. But the, the word ripple is just, I mean, you're going to name a town broad ripple. Like that's, you got to have some fucking interesting story to back that up. Ripple effect. Yeah. Well, no, so it, it totally is that too, Mark. It, like you mentioned that it had the whole world's fair kind of carnival aspect there, but 
it's kind of like the countercultural cool neighborhood in Indy. It's like where all of the cool bars it are. It is at, the cool. cool. Food spots. Shout out to the Hopcat. They have a really great selection of beer and brews. Well, I said beer twice and food. And I drank a beer today because I was so excited about this podcast. And it's probably a bad idea because now I'm really giddy. But, anyways, we're talking about Anderson. 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 Okay, so here's the thing, Anderson, right? We, we were talking about Bronnerberg and like he's so great for preserving the mound, but here's the one part of it that makes me feel like this is all a made-up story. His son's name was Ransom, and he's this guy that's protecting this mound from looters, and his son's name is Ransom. It just seems weird for 1905. I don't know how popular that name Ransom was, but he's actually the one that ends up selling 40 acres of the property his family owned to this thing called the Indiana Union Traction Company, which installed a amusement park around the mounds, all while still preserving the mounds to use it as an attraction. And then they built an electric railroad that ran from Anderson to Indianapolis, probably to Broad Ripple, I would guarantee it with a stop in Broad Ripple. And it became this sort of tourist, this getaway, which was part of why I labeled it the last suburb of Indianapolis, because people would come here from Indianapolis on the weekends to go to the amusement park and check hang out at the mounds as well. Just to touch on the name Ransom, I also don't know the significance of the time period, but that, you know, when I, when I think a name is weird, then I look up the time and I'm like, okay, there was, you know, a few thousand people named this name, but this is when you, when you start a sentence with the word Ransom, Ransom leased approximately 40 acres of land to the Indiana Traction Company. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's just funny, you know, it's like, what? There is a... There's a ransom and a lease at the same time. Interesting. Talk about taxes. Anyway, that's fun. Yeah, so I guess I guess I can just share more that like, you know, the amusement park stuff vibes with a lot of the content that I consume, right? So like I'm I'm learning this and I'm like tripping out about like why is everything I've learned about over the past few years involved in this local story of mine. So I guess do you guys want to talk about mounds at all before I move on? I think anything I didn't mention was that uh, it actually is older than the Roman Colosseum. It's noted that in the historic books is that through carbon dating, whatever you want to believe about that, it is attributed to being much older than the Roman Colosseums. Well, that's strange because my friend Rick Osman, Romy had him on his show too. Our friend Rick Osman talked about the Romans in this exact area at some point in time. So that's kind of cool to connect them in here. But yeah, the mounds, brother, I'm sure they're going to reappear in future episodes when we look at other regions. But we're talking about Indiana. We're talking about a place where mounds are sort of the thing, right? So are they going to come back into the... The presentation at all because if not i do have a, a couple other questions yeah no most of it takes off from here and goes into the more modern part of indiana i'm gonna hit on chief anderson next okay he doesn't well, have much to do with the mouth so yeah hit it bro let me hit you with a question then so we know that this is sort of an anomaly in the sense that it was preserved where most were not so my question is have you looked into whether or not there are destroyed mounds that were also you know maybe on a similar alignment with this particular area any other significant sites that were in the area that were destroyed things of that nature i don't know about destroyed but i will say that when i run around the park it seems to me that the place is covered in mounds that they don't label as mounds there's places there that are just 
raised land and just allowed to be raised land and aren't labeled a mound and are on the official diagrams. And there's a, a place in particular that rises up pretty high as a mound and there's a pool built over it at the park. And that pool is no longer open. And I asked them if it was going to be open because I wanted to go to it. And they said it will never open again because it's a multi-million dollar project to fix it. So I don't know. It, it, the whole park to me seems like it's covered in more mounds than they're letting on. Outside of Anderson, I don't know any mounds have been destroyed, but there's significant alignments with the Angel Mounds in Evansville. And then there's mounds in Newcastle, Indiana that all have similar alignments that sync up to Anderson as well, which I'm sure Chad knows about. Well, let me just share my screen real quick because I want to show you guys something that maybe connects to what you're about to say before we leave the mound topic completely. Can you guys see this? This picture? Yeah, yeah. everybody could see this. Okay, yep. so this image is what comes up when you search Anderson, Indiana. Obviously, I don't know exactly mm -hmm. where this place is, but let's examine this Super arch, right? right? Arch. Chad knows a lot about arches. And then this keystone that's right at the top of the arch. And then we have the three doorways, what's known as the triptych, right? You see this in mm -hmm. some classic paintings. You'll have like three scenes that'll be sort of, and especially in architecture too, you'll have those places, you know, facades of windows and things like that will be structured this way. And then this kind of looks like well. a almost like a copper flame or something with a phoenix a rising bit? out i can i will thank you thank you yeah let's let's, let's get a little closer look at this statue oh here. no i can't i won't let's see i don't think google earth allows me to zoom even when i hack it with the chrome zoom so Goigle this life. is as close as we're gonna get unless tr was synchronistically including this photo in his slide somewhere which in which I'm going to stop sharing now and let him take over again. <laughs> no, I, I didn't include it. I, I have it on my list of like hanging chads that are just like mm. this thing evolves into a million things that I could go down. But I've been to that park. I've played at it with my daughter. Well, the reason I brought that up is because it kind of has like a Phoenix imagery going on with that in the center there. And we're talking about a place that is very ancient. You just mentioned it's older than the Roman Colosseum. We have this sort of circular, you could argue maybe mound-like curve behind that. So yeah, and, and then also the two flagpoles on other side, which are oh, kind of yes. like the two pillars, right? So yeah, so it's still on Google Earth. You should zoom out a little bit. It'll make more sense. Oh yeah. Well, this is just one image. It's not like I'm. I haven't found that okay, particular well, within, spot on the map, within, but I will look for it while you're presenting. Within 50 yards of that park is a Masonic temple. Okay. Some I took some photos of it. It has that weird like stratification of it where it's into a hillside and there's like multiple layers of like different building types kind of stuff. Right. But it's just yes. one of those things that I couldn't unravel. It's just a never ending. I could mm. you know, you know, too much. Well before I was gonna Go ask ahead. about Masonic lodges in Anderson and and if there was any. So that, that answers that question. <laughs> well yeah, I think that I think the better question is like, how important is the Masonic Lodge in Anderson? Because I'm sure most towns that we're going to examine through this series have Masonic Lodges unless they're like fairly remote. But yeah, is it a, per, have you looked into whether or not this lodge is fairly important or not? It's on a trash side of town. It's on the side of town that's in decay. What I would describe as like the Rust Belt, right? If you grew up in a small town like I did, like you know what that Rust Belt town looks like. 
And I think there's something interesting that I'll try to make as a main point with, I found with this, I think what we're seeing, right? Like that side of town was aligned with the right white river and that side of town has fallen apart for the most part, the exception of the mound and the, the side of town now that's where I bought a house at, that's more aligned with the highway, with the technological side of movement is now prospering. So the side that's in alignment with the river is really falling apart. And the side that's in congruence with the highway is thriving. So that Masonic lodge is in a not so nice part of town. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I really like the, the old logo here of the Indiana or the union traction company. Oh, Trident D, right? Yeah. And then in the middle, it has like the concentric ring vibe as well. I know that's like the CO, but it's, yeah, it definitely has like a, like a Neptunian type of Trident vibe, but also at the same time, you know, Neptune was known to be one of the potential you know, deities of Atlantis and Atlantean culture. And then also to have that type of, to stack the C and the O and then the T on top of that, you know, there, there's just a lot of interesting design options that they chose for that, that logo. I'll just say that. As a designer, I've been kind of really into this logo as well. And I, I think if you look up the Indiana university logo, you'll see some, uh, resonance between the two of those logos as well. I've yet to find any, like historical ties between the union traction company and Indiana university, but they have a very similar logo. It's just been modernized and minimalized. Mm, okay. But that's one of my million hanging chads of like, okay, let's just do this for the next five years of my life. And I can figure <laughs> this out. <laughs> right on. So an Anderson is not too far from Indianapolis. I didn't realize that before. It's like 45 minutes top. Yeah. Chad, what are your thoughts so far, brother? Oh, I think this is amazing, amazing. I, I, I love where you started off with the ancient history and the mounds and where where you're leading to. It, it's a very similar story I've seen a lot, a lot of times before, and I think you're definitely on the right path. It's amazing. Right on. Appreciate it. Well, can I say real quick that that lodge in Anderson, Indiana, I just looked it up, and it says that it is lodge number 681. Try to go to their website. Their website is defunct, no longer active. But if we type in 681 on the gematrix.org gematria calendar, we get some interesting results. Father Ray, Ray of Light, Nibiru, Anunnaki are the first three number sinks that come up. So I don't know what that means for you, but also destruction, frozen, and the Ten Commandments are in there as well. So it's definitely not my favorite thing, gematria, but it is interesting to check this. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for checking. Look, look a little deeper into that, man. But yeah, we don't know anymore. We got the mounds kind of around, around the mounds. Around the mounds. What's next, brother? Share that screen. Yeah, let me hit up share screen. Next is Chief Anderson, the liminal namesake of Anderson, the town and Anderson University, which we'll get to later as well. So. This is really when I started reaching out to Mark about the story because this one I was like, what the hell? So the city of Anderson owes its name to the great leader of the Delaware tribe, Chief Anderson, who was born along the Susquehanna River in Pennsylvania near a river ferry called Anderson's Ferry, now in Marietta, Pennsylvania. So I was like, is Mike seeding all this in the history for me to discover somehow? Like, what is happening here? Oh, man. Marietta, Pennsylvania. I don't, maybe I'm misremembering things Mike have, 
has told me, but I thought he was from Marietta for Virginia or something like that. But there's, there's still the same name of the town. I thought he lived in Marietta, Pennsylvania for a while. That's point, what it is. That's, that's what it is. Thank you. Yes. So this is like a, a typical story that we get, right? It's almost Pocahontas like. So his father is a Swedish guy named John Anderson, who is the ferry operator. And he's like historically written down as, you know, the Delaware Indians, which seems to me, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, like the historical naming of Delaware and Lenape interchangeable, just people reference it differently. Yeah, Delaware is a name that was given. It's actually a, a European name. It's it's a person's name, Delaware. It was like a Dutch name. And yeah, unfortunately, the Lenny Lenape, which I don't know where that word comes from, but unfortunately, yes, they were remembered as the Delaware because they lived on what was called the Delaware River. But Delaware, I think, means like man of war or something like that. Like you look at the word Del. L right and then war war so I think it's it's man of war <laughs> well what I'm about to tell you about this guy is he's the exact opposite he's not a man of war he's a man of compromise but so Chief Anderson the guy the city's named after his story is he's born on the Susquehanna in Pennsylvania his father is a white Swedish man his mother is a princess of a chief of the Delaware. So for some reason, this chief decides, hey, this ferry operator, we're going to marry off my prized daughter to him. And that's how we're going to make things happen. So history hasn't recorded this alleged princess's name at all, but we get kind of Pocahontas vibes there. And his name, I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, but it's Kithwanud, I believe. And translated, they say it means creaking bows. I think another thing, again, if you look at this map that I'm showing here, it shows the, the movement of the Lenape people from the East Coast out West, and it seems to vibe right through that Ohio Valley in the 40th parallel. And then it hits Anderson, and once it hits Anderson, they either branch north towards the Great Lakes or south towards the Mississippi. You know what's so weird about that is the interstate highway does pretty much just that, right? It goes 70, from right? I-80 to I-70. And I remember when I went to the Rockies, I was like, well, we could either go north through Nebraska or south through Kansas. And Kansas seems a lot worse. So we went through Nebraska as far as cops were concerned, because we were a bunch of stoners that were planning on doing illegal <laughs> things. So for me, this is where it starts to sync up again with me. You know, I grew up in that area and I moved out here, kind of followed that path back and forth, traveling between to see family and being fresh as a new straight out of college kid moving to Indiana. So like, that's the path that I traveled a lot. So watching that was kind of tripping me out a little bit, but the name Creaking Bows strikes an interesting to me. And then again, just the fact that the Delaware people love this random ferry operator so much that they married off like their prized daughter to them. So it's the tip of the westward expansion. You know, he's moving as, you know, colonization happens and as the pressure for indigenous people to leave the colonies happens through all the tragedies that that story is, he moves westward. And so his father gives him English name, William Anderson. There's not really a record of his birth. Mid 1750s is kind of what they're attributed to. They talk about the tribe being split up into three different tribes. And he was a member of the Turkey clan from the Delaware. And basically, like, it's just a sad story that they were these grand people. And as they far moved west, they slowly and slowly kind of lost their stature. And they became just like a barely living on people as they moved out to Indiana and then farther north and south. 
Wow. I uh, I want to quick touch on this too. Was up at a farm today in Humboldt, had to drive up there and, and like, I'm talking out there, like people that live on this road, you would not want to drive this road every day. It is gnarly. You have to have a four wheel drive truck to get out there. And, but when you do get out there, it's absolutely beautiful, right? Like stunning Northern California lands. And I was on this farm with a bunch of alpaca, pigs, peacocks, and these turkeys, and I've seen a lot of turkeys, but these turkeys were very, like, very beautiful. I'm talking like, you you know, when you see Native American indigenous outfits with feathers, right? And they're all colorful feathers, and they're doing the dances, and very, like, very cool dances, right? And they're, and they, they're imitating birds a lot of the time, right? right? They're covered in feathers and everything, and, and just watching these birds, they were, like, kind of dancing for us like they were like oh who's this new guy you know and they <laughs> it was just it was so cool so i just thought i would touch on that just because you said they they were association with turkeys there and mm. i very very special animals turkey like, the turkey was supposed to be the national bird before the bald eagle took the role that's interesting because they are they're they're they were the sacred mother bird to the Native Americans, at least up here in my neck of the woods. No pun intended, turkey neck. But we have a lot of interesting things with Chief Anderson. And creaking bow, I think is how I would pronounce it in New England. But you said bow. But I just want to clarify because a bow and a bow are two very different things. A bow is a is something you would use to carry plants. And a bow is something that you kill things with, right? So two different yeah. I spent a large portion of time in a trailer park growing up, so I have a little bit of a red. <laughs> <laughs> so it's B-O-U-G-H-S. Yes, that's all right. I'm going to be that guy who corrects people on this show, love it or hate it. That's what we're here to do, inform the people. And we've got these brilliant field researchers lined up like TR who are out there in the field studying history, studying the now, bringing it all together tying a bow on it or maybe a bow if you use plants but anyways tr hit us with this next slide all right very quickly here he's the one who signed the treaty of greenville that forced everyone all the indigenous people out of ohio so that's part of what led him to become to come back to indiana as well i asked you guys earlier to put a bow in the back of your head for the term fountain mountain from the dutch translation of bronnerberg Again, I'm asking you to put in the back of your head this 8th Street and Central Avenue. So when he came to Anderson, he lived in a two-story log cabin house at 8th Street and Central Avenue. So that's going to become important later. But uh, he is has a tie to one of the most famous indigenous people of all time, Tecumseh, because Tecumseh and his brother, I forget his brother's name, uh, but it was known as the Prophet, and they ran the confederation that was pushing back against westward expansion. He came to Chief Anderson and asked his tribe to fight amongst him against uh, the colonizers, and he declined him. He was later then approached by William Henry Henderson or Harrison from the governor, and he said, I'm not helping you either. So he's kind of like this story of like non-participation. He just was trying to find land for his people, and he wanted nothing to do with what was going on. 
So he, to me, he's the symbol of neutrality is what I labeled him as. And uh, there's not a lot of links to his lineage, but I did find this super awesome picture of his great grandson who posed for a picture, but there's no, no lineage in Anderson currently like there is with the Bronnerberg. So I find that kind of interesting as well. Mm. Can I also mention that there is a prominent Freemason whose name is James Anderson. He is a Freemason from the 1700s. So not relevant to Indiana. I don't think Indiana was recognized as a state back then, but still kind of interesting how that stuff works out, right? Well, let's look at our timelines here. Mid 1750s is his birth date. So maybe some lineage there. And his father was was a sweet Swedish boat captain, Swedish or Danish ferry operator. Ferry operator, mm. ferry. Which and again, if you tie into that use of the word ferry, we're talking portals here. I think mm-hmm. there, there. Mm-hmm. Well, and then yeah, the ferry operator to Hades, right? As what's his name? The 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 god of the underworld. And then we have also Osiris. the Swedish in that particular area of the early colonies according to rick osman and other guests i've had say that the swedish were there much 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 longer than we're told in that nuremberga colony so yeah that is interesting maybe the they they were like half swede half native yeah i mean he was a ferry operator on not just any river he was operator on the susquehanna so i think that has some might to it as well so yeah, I think the next slide is just more reinforced what I'm saying. is like, this guy was just trying his best to like get away from this catastrophe and chaos that he was around as far as history tells it. And he was just looking for everyone to leave him the fuck alone pretty much, but he just couldn't find it. He kept moving. He came to Anderson, got forced out of Anderson to Ohio and then came back to Anderson and then eventually was forced down to Oklahoma. But it, I, I think, again, I don't know how much of this is real history, how much is it not, but he's labeled as like, this is the the proper Indian. This is the good Indian. And he always maintained a peaceful attitude in dealing with the government. And it, there's something story-wise where he's set out as an example of like the noble savage archetype that no one likes to have be put out there kind of thing. Question. So he died in the later part of 1831 in October. Okay. And you said earlier in one of the slides that the Mound State Park was founded in October... Of what year? I, I can't remember. Are you going to have to scroll or Google for that one? I don't have what year the mound was off the top of my head. Yeah, it, it was shit. It was 1901 is when it was sold to the Union Traction Company. Oh, I see. Go back right there. October 7th, 1930. No, one more. Right there. October 7th, 1930, Mound State Park was established. Okay. So one year later, Chief Anderson dies. Interesting. I think that's 18, right? Well, even if it's 100 years later, that's 101 years later. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Wow. And and so another, good. I was going to say another thing. I just looked in the Freemason dictionary I had on my shelf, and it says that Anderson, that guy I mentioned before, not only a prominent Freemason, but he wrote the orders and rites of the Freemasons that was recommended to be used in every single lodge within the Lodge of England. So is it's pretty important freemason actually whose last name is anderson so and we're talking about freemason lodges i know they don't play too much into the role that we know of yet in this particular story but as chad knows in his neck of the woods and 
homie Romy and I, and I'm sure you know this as well, Thomas, uh, they're a part of this story for sure. I, I can I can attest to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think the the Freemasons, you know, having a large understanding of you know a deep esoteric spiritualism that they, you know, they wanted the the cosmological information that was available here from the indigenous peoples of America. And whether or not how they got that information, I I don't know. That's definitely part of the reason why we're doing this show. For me, is I, I want to I want to figure out the relationship between, you know, the 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 real relationship between some of the indigenous cultures and the cultures flooding and creating the the new world, right? As they called it, which I don't necessarily agree with or like it but but yeah no definitely undoubtedly massive mason mixture in the melting muddlement there m's <laughs> yeah I, I like you know again if we're gonna get more speculative I, I really like the idea i don't like it it sucks that it happened but it's interesting to me the idea that you know there was some covert operations going on pre-colonization to set up this country to be more easily colonized and that our checkerboard boys probably had something to do with that you know i think that mike talks about that right with the susquehannocks and that the map and what was that susquehannocks on that map and i to me in my like play it out on wild adventures mode that storyline kind of makes sense to me I like being speculative. I think speculation helps start spark into intuition. And, you know, it's, it's important to speculate a bit because, you know, speculation is, is how new discoveries can get made, you know, thinking outside the box, poking around a little bit, you know? And so it's as important as it is to stick to the facts. Sure. You know, sometimes you got to take the ax to the facts, baby. Yeah, so I guess maybe Chief Anderson was a Mason all along. He was sent here because he knew the magical power of the mound. And there's lots of ritual sacrifices that we're about to go over next of Anderson as a whole for some magical workings to make Indianapolis great is maybe a thought that I've had. There we go. See, that's the kind of speculations I like. But the, hey, this, and this is syncing up great. So let's talk about Fall Creek Massacre. If you guys, if you guys want to drill on Chief Anderson anymore, it's, it's a sad story of a guy who's trying to escape this and just dies old and frail and unable to get his people much more than he could have. Well, I know we uh, we don't have that much more time. We want to respect everybody's time a little bit. It's a new show. Maybe I'm wrong, but I know we, we said we'd try to do two hours, but <clears throat> I don't want to force you to speed through it. So... Hit us with what you think the finer points and what really stands out in this story arc. Sure. First fruit ceremony, a Fall Creek massacre. It's the first registered time where white men were ever murdered for killing indigenous people. So there's a story where multiple indigenous people were shot because some drunk white guys wanted to have a rip roar and good time and knew there were Indians down the river. So they went there and just brutally murdered them. And so they were taken on trial and hung. And it's this big epic story, which has a lot of confusing, contradicting facts about it. But basically the governor rides in to save the day and pardons one of the guys from being hung because he was not 18 yet. And he says, here's your pardon, go sir and sin no more. So there's like this magical working that occurs on the Creek that is now a really nice 
pretty pristine playground that lots of kids and farmers market takes place at. This mound also, or not the mound, I'm sorry, this Fall Creek is also a place where Frederick Douglass was assaulted and beat by the mob. It's the same exact location. And that's that rhyming, man. I'm telling you, this is, I'm so glad you brought that up early on, TR, and this is the first episode, so I'm sure the audience is going to get used to us referencing this, but yeah, I, I mean, it's the here. How could we not reference it? And I think there's a truth to these tragic, violent, high emotion events carrying a resonance with them and that energy is grounded in the location so i don't think it's a surprise that frederick douglas was assaulted there and i mean i'm sure that farmer's market has its problems every now and then i used to work at a farmer's market it wasn't always pretty yeah i don't know i think the one other thing that stands out about this story is there's two different tellings of it that the indigenous people showed up to watch the men be hung and there's two different accounts on a video told by the historical society and in a print form one says that they said the white men's justice is very cruel because of the way they did it and one says that they were satisfied so there's kind of that split telling of history that's like did this even happen at all kind of thing hmm okay oh now a gas boom interesting i guess this whole area man was just just they were just drilling and chilling yeah, they drilled 600 feet and they thought they hit the ceiling of hell. So they covered it up and then a bunch of rich people came in and took advantage of it and drilled near of it and the gas boom started. Oh, shit. To, to make it short and sweet. There's my short and sweet on that part. But one thing I do really want to point out here is that this led, there's a whole other story about Muncie, Indiana, which is next to here, which is like a whole wilder rabbit hole. But that, that started the Ball Corporation. So the, the Ball family... Whoa. We're talking about ball. Ball is the ball corporation. Muncie's <laughs> all ball. Ball State University is there. Whoa. If you've ever had a ball glass mason jar, most of them say ball on it. And so, but what they realized is that, you know, the, the gas, they were acting like it was never going to run out. So the ball corporation converted all that natural gas into glass. So they just had so much ball glass just in deck. So they took a natural resource and converted it into a commodifiable object. Also then eventually the standard oil company moves in. We all know what standard oil company and that stuff's about, but so pretty much by 1910, all moves gone. in. Yeah. Let me, Rock, let me pause you real Henry quick. Flagler. Tell me about the glass again, because everybody can picture that type of glass jar. I mean, everybody has an experience of either going to a restaurant it's or having one in their jar. home. It's a mason jar. It's a fucking mason yeah. jar. And then you have John D. Rockefeller and Henry Flagler, the standard oil company coming in here with the mining. Like, wow, this just stepped up a level here, buds. I had to lay the history first. I'm sorry. I'm trying to speed through it. Boom. <laughs> we need to get great. you on with Mike and Ross, dude. This is, I feel like we're like reaching into the 40th parallel territory here really hard with especially with the ball connection but yeah man definitely so i'm sorry i just want to because i'm confused i want to get into this really quick so the glass came from an accident there was something that resulted in them having a surplus of glass how, how did that happen so, the, so there's a surplus of gas right? Everyone's acting like we got to have gas forever. Burn it up. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to be rich. This is going to be the boominess city in the Midwest. 
And what the ball corporation did is use it to fuel fires, to make glass. Ah, okay. So Makes sense. While Got other it. people were kind of letting it burn to do all kinds of other things, they converted it into a commodifiable object, therefore taking the natural gas in the gland and making something they could store and sell later without anyone having access to the gas that was under. And the- this was kind of like a, like you're saying like they sparked a process and they're like, okay, well this gas is leaking. We better take advantage of it before it's goes away. Right. Yeah. I think let, let, I'll speed through here. I'm sorry. But that, so eighth, I told you to ask about eighth street and remember that. So in McCullough park on eighth street, they put in the biggest well that's ever been recorded in this Trenton gas field in Indiana. And it was called Vesuvius. And it's on the same location that Chief Anderson lived on 8th Street, where 8th Street crosses the White River that comes past through mounds. And they basically let this thing just rip all day long, just burning gas. And they said, hey, everyone, come see Anderson. We've got unlimited gas. You want to bring your factories here because we're just rip-roaring gas. And they said that in two months, they burn up enough gas in this Vesuvius that it could have powered all the factors in Anderson for two years. When you say burn it, what do you mean? Because it sounds to me like they're wasting it. They're not really using it. They're burning it like a spectacle. Yeah, exactly. The spectacle lasted for months. It was, it was, you know, ball, right? It's like, just burn it up, man. Just the, let's, let's have a good time for these two months. And this is what we're talking about the blood of the earth. We're talking about oil. We're talking about sacrifice. The, yeah. We're talking about the blood of the earth, a place where chief anderson lived so i'm sure he had his senses tuned into these kind of things but chad we haven't heard much from you what are you thinking about this brother what are your thoughts i'm super interested in this volcano looking like a volcano vesuvius here yeah i mean the volcano on screen is obviously vesuvius right but i was just trying to draw that connection between they named it that they chose that name for the well it wasn't named historically it was named when it was built that that's that's the whole point though is like you know you have to look so the brought to attention by matt when i was listening to madame blavatsky the word logos means god it's another word for god right gods are called logos it's another name for it and so when you have companies and corporations using logos right as depictory types of things for their corporation you're talking about they're they're choosing gods and so vesuvius has esotericism all around it and there there's massive amounts there's even gateway symbolism i think david matheson brings up on his website i read one time with um something with like a vesuvius gateway but you know oh goodness what's the uh, who, who am i blanking on who's the the volcano god Vulcan. So Vulcan worship is a thing. And, and you're talking about alchemy here. So the standard oil company is an alchemical processes that, you know, John D Rockefeller, those guys hired a very specific chemist to make cheaper oil for them. And it's an alchemical process, right? So if you're tying into this and, you know, you even have like almost like a, a an obelisk type shape, you have almost like a pyramid type shape, you know, a reminiscence of that like volcano. Like it's that that's, there's a lot going on. And when you tie in the standard oil company and this major money, you know, this, this beast, Right. That that is basically funded the country to get us where we are today. Right. The the creature of Jekyll Island, the Federal Reserve tied in with the Rockefellers as well. And and oil like oil standard 
has this <laughs> the money standards went to oil, which basically fucked everything. So, yeah, then I mean, this is this is no small this is no small feat right here, bro. This is this is a this big deal. Well, put. I think there's two things to add, esoteric and exoterically. One, again, I told you earlier, Bronnerberg breaks down in Dutch to Fountain Mountain. And then a Vesuvius comes after Bronnerberg's been here. That's the more abstract one. But the real one more is like the, they didn't take away the oil. They took away the gas, which made it easy to pump oil because of the pressure. So what it basically did is allow the oil to only be gotten by people who had the machinery to take the oil out of the ground. Mm-hmm. So it seems strategic to me. <laughs> I mean, when you come in business with the Rockefellers, it's all about strategy, dude. And they will do whatever they fucking can to make sure that their business strategies are the business standards for them, for their, for their companies. That is. I agree. I, I don't know at time I'm worried about time for you guys. So I, I would like to tie in a little sync to the eighth street thing that synced with me personally, but I also have two more slides on Anderson university. We can skip Anderson, save it for another time. Anderson university. No, we got to get into the, we got to get into universities, man. There's nothing more esoteric than the fucking colleges. Yeah. And Hey, we we're going to edit this fairly well. So Chad at, at any point, if you need a jet, you know, don't hesitate, let us know. But yeah, I think we could let this rip as long as we're all willing to, stay here and yeah we'll determine afterwards amongst the three of us roman chad and i you know how the format of the show is gonna work out and whatnot but yeah brother let's get through this man because i'm 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 excited to see the name enochian in here i'm like where is this going next i love it yes we know ross ben and the enochian mound gritters right like i've only recently started reading the book after i finished this but a lot of it syncs up with this so the Gospel Trumpet Company. It's a publishing company, kind of a propaganda arm of the religious movement from the Church of God. And they were from Moundsville, West Virginia. Which, <laughs> which is what I was mentioning earlier when some when Chad said Mound City. Or you, did you say Mound City? Whoever Chad said it. Chad said Mound City, yeah. And then you brought Moundsville, West Virginia. So they're the leaders of this sort of propaganda arm of the Church of God. And I'm currently renting office space in their previous headquarters at the Church of God on Anderson University right now broadcasting for this podcast. That's where you are right now? Yeah, right now in the previous headquarters of the Church of God that's been turned into a co-working space with individual office rentals. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We're we're having you back on. Bro, this is sick, dude. We need to do more indiana breakdowns with tr i love this okay this is keep. your fault you introduced me to synchronicity and I was poking into my life in every aspect this is what we expected roman did it chad did it i mean we gotta blame chad i mean chad inspired roman and i i mean he's he's more of a source of this than anyone but yeah for sure man it's infectious i mean people listen to the show my show roman show they they hear chad's work on many different shows and they get inspired and they go and look in their own backyard. And that is one of the highlights and the points of this show is if you feel compelled, if you feel brave enough to examine your area, the way TR has, don't hesitate. Hit us up at esoteric America podcast at gmail.com and let us know where you live and what you want to bring to the show. Maybe you can add your own synchros to this state-by-state flow. Now, TR, let's hit the next slide. So the company comes here. The brothers from this company, Noah and Enoch Byram, 
knelt and dedicated the beautiful rolling land to God. They were company men who had visited the land in Anderson before. It was never known that it was for sale. So somehow they came here once as operation of this company and found this land that wasn't for sale, got it somehow, and then dedicated it to God, which later becomes Anderson University. Wow. Um, so this is a little bit a picture of the, what their initial place in Moundsville, West Virginia. I find the background of that very interesting in terms of the mounds that are present there. Their mission was to spread the church of God's word to India, to Africa, to China and the Caribbean basin. So they're trying to make this broadcast across the world. And for some reason they choose to come to Anderson, Indiana to accomplish that mission, which I find very strange. So when they came here, they built a large home, which was much bigger than what their flat boat that they were originally working out of that they bought in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, hmm. and floated hmm. down the higher river to come to Anderson. So you can see here, this is a picture of the floating Bethel. This is what they lived on and put, the, put together their publications to distribute them out of before coming to Anderson and having these church camp revivals which later develops into Anderson University. An interesting sign out front of Anderson University is a tribute to Old Main, which is the first building they built. And they attribute the building supplies to come from the St. Louis World's Fair. Huh. What's, wow. what's with the Penny Royal? So for me, this is one of the things that got me thinking about Anderson as well, is that Dan Doughton, I'm probably butchering his name like I did Bose, but... The guy from Penny Royal that was talking about the oak. Daniel Denton. Daniel Denton. Daniel Denton was talking about the oak something mental facility where they had these kids that were potentially on the spectrum and they thought could communicate with more beings. And he was convinced to go visit them and he had some really far out experiences. But the girl that brought him to that experience, he mentions in the podcast she came from religious training at Anderson University. So this girl in Kentucky that has this paranormal tie was trained in Anderson University. Oh, so there's probably Boom. some like magnetic draw, some dowsing effect that brought her from Anderson to Kentucky because Kentucky's like apparently the largest electromagnetic strength in the northern american country and so that's that's super fascinating lots of it's the highest area of geomagnetic activity in north america okay there you go yeah that's fascinating so she was drawn from anderson to kentucky like super cool that is a a cool sink man a religious training though yeah i was geeking out i remember that day on the telegram where i was like what the you know just tripping about it like what is the chances this woman went to school in anderson check this I was telling you guys about my drive to Indiana last year when TR and I were both in Broad Ripple at the same time before, I I assume before you tuned into the podcast, because I don't think I had many people on the Patreon back then. And I had listened to the Penny Royal podcast for the first time on my drive to Indiana. So boom, synchronicities Hmm. left, right, and front front and center. (laughs) Yo. So I won't go into Anderson University too much. I mostly wanted to talk about the Church of God. There's a lot of interesting stuff there with that, but I did want to share some images of stuff on campus that I find interesting. You know, yeah. Romy, I know in your residence Dude. architecture, this probably gets you a little bit. That's a labyrinth, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, wow. Tara and That's I like found a- this really cool book about labyrinths. There's a whole bunch of labyrinths in Connecticut and someone printed a book. It's like all 200 labyrinths in Connecticut. Huh. 
that's it. That's like a classic shards labyrinth too, which is pretty fascinating. Like C H R A R T E S. That's what shards is. That like what the shards like shards cathedral? cathedral. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, so I think, again, that can of worms that I just can't open yet, but it ties into sort of, you know, whatever you want to classify that term that no one knows for sure what it means, the Tartaria building stuff. But this this symbolism is featured a lot in those kind of speculative research projects. So I thought that was interesting to include. There's a bell right next to it, which, again, is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then this major sculpture is a Vesca Pisces with a DNA strand in the middle of it, and the plaque on it says Helios, and then there were and there was light. So I find that kind of an interesting point to talk about as well. Wow. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's, that probably is the start of the next presentation would be going to start with the, the university and mm. finding out more about these, these art structures, because, you know, Chad has shown us that when you start to look at these, these art structures and like who put this, art in like who the artist was where the artist is from then you start to be like opening up more like right you know more more pieces of that puzzle and that's super fascinating this is mm. super cool especially the Vesca pisces dna strand named helios like that's a definite wormhole i think that book we were talking about because the universalist church is like has some kind of connection to connecticut I think they make a lot of those labyrinths like they have those labyrinths at their universalist churches. I can't I could be wrong. I'm not sure. But yeah, stay on. Go go real quick. Go to that one with all the with that sign that says neighborhood crime watch. Yeah, there you go. So I was just looking on Google Earth at Anderson and I noticed the like high amount. Maybe it's not, you know, outside of an average, but there's a lot of red feature to the city like roofs and just like the bricks are very red i'm wondering if there's something to that because i noticed the art museum and several different churches all have these red roofs and the art museum in particular has the signature temple shape to it it's like a perfect cross the way it's constructed the same way a cathedral would be built yeah i i love taking photography like i'm part-time play a photographer on tv i do something professionally but you've taken all these photos yeah these photos that's awesome yeah yeah so i just walked around and kind of you know you listen to these things all the time and it's like okay i see that i've heard of that before so i snap that and you know there's a lot of stuff that just jumps out to me so i just threw these in here as a hodgepodge of just kind of like catch the vibe that's going on in here kind of thing that's yeah, so this cool. is this is like some really good like this is a, i wouldn't call this a little podunk town with this type of fine architecture in it i mean this is some but and you but see this you a lot with the, universities too sorry homie romy mm-hmm. but you're absolutely right it's like wherever the universities go they have like these really a mystery yeah. school-esque types of architecture and the other thing that i notice is there's and you can see it in the front of the museum there there's a lot of like red brick paved streets too which is the other thing and i'm like I'm almost certain that that has to be like a university color probably or something, but it's definitely like prominently red. Yeah, I grew up on Red Brick Street too, which is fun. But so this union building here, check this out. And then above it, they have like this creature eating a shovel at the union building, which I felt was like mm. super symbolic. Can you zoom in on that at all on that one? Yeah, I can't escape out of this. 
Now, Thomas, do you think any of this symbolism here in Anderson, in particular, all this red brick symbolism anywhere, could be connected to Indianapolis in any way? I know there's tons of red brick around Indianapolis also. Yeah, and I just lost my video, so we're audio only for a second here. But uh, yeah, I think it is. And I think the other thing that I have on my hanging chads list here is that like Salem limestone too, right? Like there's a huge amount of this limestone and it's all, a lot of the monuments around the country are formed out of this limestone, this Indiana Salem limestone that's like farmed out here and built into monuments. But the red brick, I don't know, there's that whole theory of like, look how poorly it's bricked. Like these giant mortar spots. Where, where's Rob? Is he in the telegram? I'm sure he would like point out how poorly <laughs> put together. But like, there's that idea that the bricks are the facades, right? And behind them are these bigger things. So I wonder if that has anything to do with it as well. Hmm. Well, I would love to go in, uh, you know, if we do another one with you, I would love to go in more and just, just look at these buildings because I'm seeing a lot of spires. Earlier, there was a building with some definite rotunda action. I'm wondering if that's where maybe the uh, the labyrinth was placed, maybe inside that building. Because it didn't look like it was outside. Usually, you know, well, you, you can obviously have labyrinths outside, but, you know, a lot of times they're inside underneath the spires, underneath the rotunda, mm. so... It's yeah, super great, man. I looking at these photos now. I am I'm starting to be like, wow, okay, yeah. Because earlier you you said uh, you know it's like a small little town, and there's just yeah, but it's close enough to Indianapolis to where it's like in that network. I feel like especially what Chad just pointed out with the Indianapolis connection there. I mean, Chad and I spoke about Indianapolis a little bit in our conversation. We mentioned the Soldiers and Sailors Monument. Are there any Soldiers and Sailors Monuments in Anderson? No, I think the closest thing to it is in the downtown. There's this monument of these three women, and I haven't quite decoded that, but there's something there. And there's mm. obviously a, you know, a pole-like structure in the middle of uh, this. Okay. There. Okay, so I, I, I'm going to just weave a little bit, tie something in here. So earlier there's that Helios structure, right? And you got Indianapolis, which is just putting those two words together reminds me of Heliopolis, which is the classic city of Egypt that you would, the phoenix bird would go and bring its ashes of its past burnt self. After the phoenix would die in its own ashes, it would bring the ashes to the city of Heliopolis to thus, you know, do that alchemical process and place it there. So, you know, earlier we had that potential statue of a phoenix. And even right here in the top right, looking at whatever type of that, yeah, that. It's out of something you would really like, Romy, that I'd love to talk to you about at some point is an atmospheric theater. It's called the Paramount Theater. And it's a hmm. theater that requires no speakers or anything. It's built to like project. Oh, archaeoacoustics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, but you guys know what I'm saying there? You kind of pick up on putting down with, with Heliopolis, the Helios structure where it said, I can't remember what it said underneath Helios. What did it say? And there was light. And there was Ooh. light, which is Heliopolis. I mean, is... And that plaque like is on city. that fountain or... City that of fountain the sun. on Anderson's campus. City of the Sun. Thank you. Yeah, City of the Sun. So Which is Cahokia, right? Is that what you just said, Romy? What's that? Did you mention Cahokia when you said City of the Sun? No, Heliopolis. Oh, I was going to say, because Cahokia was known as the City of the Sun, and Cahokia is much closer oh, than... It is. They probably have, you know, because, okay, so Chad also, in, in his original book and, and studies, was talking about the downtown Detroit, and it had 
correlation to the pyramids of Giza. And so, you know, a lot of times you have this superimposed type of, of thing, you know, we have this like idea that there was Egypt in America, that, you know, the garden of Eden was in America, or if you superimpose the Americas over onto the other continent, you might get some synchronicities with the land set up. So, you know, that, that's another big kind of, you know, interest of curiosity for me mm. is, is, is kind of finding out, you know, these correlations and similarities between Egypt oh. and that whole area, the Middle East and, and America. Because the whole Mississippi I, Nile connection, brother. I mean, we could that, definitely exactly. find a guest to talk about that. But Tara, you, you said you had possibly an idea for why, what that those three women are. Mother Maiden Crone, you said, right? No, you asked. Yeah, I. That's my guess. I. I don't know what else, but yeah, maybe it has something to do with the mother maiden crone, and the goddess. And kind of like a father hunt, father son, holy ghost, like a female version of that. Yeah. 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 Ooh, yeah. Trinity, alchemical process, e. Vesca Pisces. Yeah, I think a lot of stones unturned in general. Uh, this thing, I would love to just shout out that this thing lives in Mount State Park, and it looks like the Demogorgon from Stranger Things, and we're talking Indiana. Ooh, a star. Thing. That's a star-nosed mole, right? Yeah, 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 and it lives in the caves of Mount State Park. Ooh, Tara and I just found a mole the other, two days ago when we were cleaning out this garden. In my greatest fantasy, Mark, I thought when I found this that it was going to be a marsupial, and I was going <laughs> to break the internet. Hey, that's a different podcast. Well, at the end, I could sneak that in, right? <laughs> well, hold on. There's another equally weird thing. I hope I didn't miss that you mentioned this already, but it says Puckwad G's of Indiana. And I recognize that word because we have Puckwad G's in Connecticut. I think they call them a different name. They have like a... Well, Menehune is Hawaii, but they have a different name for Tara just mentioned Menehune. But in Connecticut, they have like a name that's kind of similar to Menehune, but it's not. But yeah, Pukwajis. What's what are those? Little people. Ooh, I think I I've know. asked around to local people that I'm friends with here, friends of my wife. And, you know, a lot of their family members have stories of what they refer to as little Indians, that they were in the woods and they saw a little Indian. Or this happened and they saw a little Indian take it off with their dog or something like that. There's a lot of these stories. And so the story of the kid miss going missing in the cave has a paranormal side to it where there's lore that like this kid was pulled in by a Pukwudgie that lives in these cavernous systems under the mounds. And so that's why they blew it up. It was like, we're done with these Pukwudgies. We can't have any more of them. So just blow up the mounds and be done with it. That's, Which I think Stranger uh, Things storyline, right, Romy? <laughs> I mean, the upside down world, the mirror verse of, yeah, definitely taking kids underground and stealing their souls. <clears throat> Super interesting, bro, because, you know, I was just listening to a recent episode of the higher side chats with an amazing guest that I'm pretty sure everybody's familiar with. If not, you know, you need to do your, do your homework, but Dr. Gregory Little, and he was describing one of his stories where he had a, a shaman of, ooh, I can't remember what, what, what tribe that he was from, but he had this electromagnetic bed in his office that where you could lay in it and it would actually literally extend your, your auric field. And, you know, the shaman saw 
little people like you know which is part of their lore which is part of the the, the his tribes in the in the shamanic lore and so you know it's that's also ties in earlier too what we're talking about with elemental entities the land entity is is always a combination of of little people you know different geographically you know they have like different hues different geographically but super super fascinating hey, thomas we're talking about the little people how about the legends of the big people the giants around these mounds yeah what's that one guy i can't think of his name i have it written down somewhere to dive into fritz it, zimmerman any, yeah yeah his stuff's really interesting about all that but i didn't run across any of that to do with anderson i i would love if anyone's got that out there chat if you know anything about that related to the i'll mountains, look but i'll look in his book right now because this is the this is a travel guide to the ancient ruins in the ohio valley which is not limited to the state of ohio so i'll do a quick scope of this book while you guys are chatting and maybe there's some info on the anderson mounds i'll share this last synchronicity story if i can so i i, I work in this co-working space right and so i do enjoy a little herb from time to time and so sometimes in my midday break i like to leave the office and go smoke a joint next to the river and so i would go to this bridge because it's a big landmark i'm not familiar with the city so like okay i go there i walk amongst the river i smoke a joint i come back to work and I noticed this sign, the Kennedy crossing, which is bizarre. What does Kennedy have to do with Anderson? The bridge of character in memory of John F. Kennedy, a true man of character. And there's this bizarre eye spray painted on it, which I think is an interesting little nod. And then all along the river, they've been doing construction work. I don't have any good pictures to share right now, but they're laying underground pipes right next to this river. So I'm like spooking myself out as I'm like enjoying a joint. And then like, why? Kennedy and I underground, what is happening? So that's <laughs> the conclusion of my current story in Anderson. Damn, bro. All right. I love it. And it's on 8th Street where Chief Anderson is born in Vesuvius. Was that? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And this is so meant to be because Homie Romy mentioned the Grand America show somehow already. And I'll tell you what, I bought this book after listening to their interview with Fritz Zimmerman, rest in peace. I'm almost certain he's not alive anymore. I could be really wrong. I hope I'm not wrong. But they interviewed Fritz, like their eighth episode of the Grimerica show. And I bought this book after listening to that interview and not even 20 pages in, are they talking about everything you just talked about, brother? So you need to get this book because they go a little, Fritz goes a little deeper, it seems, because it says that there's an alignment of three earthworks in East Central Indiana, and it's on a line that corresponds with the summer solstice sunset and the winter solstice sunrise, and those three are Mound State Park, which is what we've just talked about, Newcastle, Indiana, and Cambridge City, Indiana. So maybe you were already on to that, maybe not, but that is so cool, man, because I bought this book like five years ago before I ever thought I would be on a podcast. And it was, you know, one of these books that I, you know, it's a travel guide. So I've always had it like, oh, I'm going to go here one day. I'm going to explore this one day. And now we're exploring it at least through the cybernetic realm. So, wow, what a what a freaking awesome way to kick off Esoteric America. And kudos to you, brother, because you clearly worked hard on this and I I know we're not quite through it yet, but I just want to, you know, I know you gave us our, your finale, but Chad Roman and I still have questions. So we're going to, 
I just want to give you your props because this is this is really cool. Well, I would say thank you to all the podcasters out there because I spend most of my time at a computer. So thanks for filling my ears with stories to get me through the day. So that's what inspired all this. And now you're sharing stories with the other list. See, man, this is how the fractals spiral upwards. And that's what we're all trying to do here. We're trying to spiral upwards as we re-examine Turtle Island and all of its sacred spirals. That's why we put a turtle in the logo for the Esoteric America logo. I sent it to homie Romy. He approved. I got to send it to Chad. But all right, here we are. I like that you have this page up because it gives us a lot of spots to work with. But you, what is a hanging Chad? Did I miss that? What's a hanging Chad? Because we have Chad here and Chad's not hanging. Sorry, Chad. I didn't be here. I would change the, the He word. is hanging out. <laughs> we have one hanging Chad in oh, I this. Like it. Keep it. Keep it. <laughs> I think it's just a, it's a like a what's that? I'm going to try to sound smart for a second. That neologism for like just unresolved things, things that are still oh. kind of hanging there kind of thing. Oh. And so these are all the things that like are in my notebook, but like I haven't found a way to like weave them into a story, but mm. a couple that I'll call out real quick, chief Muncie, the Muncie is a town that is also on the white river. That's very close to here, has no mounds, but it's Everyone that I've met from there thinks that it was built by this guy, Chief Muncie. There's a statue there that implies it was built by Chief Muncie. But if you look it up, he never existed. It's not a real character. So just evidence of like that false history being created on purpose, which I think is interesting that like there's Chief Anderson, who's this real like perfect idea of what they wanted a Native American to be. And then they didn't have that for Muncie. So they just created this false guy kind of thing. Hmm. Okay. Then you got a Catholic Twatha de Dunan tie in there as well. That's uh, again, courtesy of our bro, Gabe. He gave me that Anderson breaks down to Don Norse, AKA the home of the Norse to author Dana. Huh? So yeah. I don't know about that. I had black Celts, that book on my picture earlier would have something like I want to look into at some point, but I think there's a loose tie in there of some sort. Wow. Yeah. This is, this has been great, man. I mean, I would love to, you know whenever whenever we're available again to do to do it again part two because there's obviously a lot going on in indiana and i i mean i'm not surprised like geographically it, it really has it's significant you know and it's right next to ohio too which is incredibly esoterically tied to a lot of rich people the rockefellers henry flagler i mean it's right over by new york and you know right underneath Michigan and massive amounts of paranormal stories going on there. And yeah, undoubtedly, undoubtedly much, much, much more to get into with this, dude. This is, it's been great. For sure. It's your first time doing it. You're like a fucking natural Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I said, all day to you, about brother. content. I just talk about marketing all day with people. Yeah. I noticed that when we first talked, I'm like, He's going to do great. I knew it. But speaking of hanging chads, Chad, what's still left for you, brother? You got any final thoughts, final questions? Yeah, well, I think you did awesome, Thomas. And I want to thank you because I think you kind of proved the point that me, Mark, and Roman want to do with this show. And that is, you know, it doesn't have to be a giant city. That There's people living in smaller cities that may find just as important symbolism in their own backyards as we put it 
So right. I just want to thank you because you did exactly exactly that, man. So thank you very much. Yes. I, I was kind of on the fence about it. You know, I, it was kind of weird about like, hey, let me do a podcast and like put my face out there. But what I came to is what you said is like, hopefully this makes more people look into their areas and helps, you know, you guys succeed as podcasters because I'm bought into what you guys are talking about and I want that to keep going if possible. Right on. Thank you, brother. Well, I will say since I brought it up, there is quite a lot about Madison County and a bunch of other counties. They seem to all be kind of focused on the 40th parallel. No coincidence, I'm sure. But yeah, a bunch of counties in Indiana have mounds. I definitely encourage you and everyone listening to pick up this book by Fritz Zimmerman, The Nephilim Chronicles, A Travel Guide to the Ancient Ruins in the Ohio Valley, not just for Indiana, but Ohio, Illinois, and even Kentucky as well. So yeah, it's very cool. Very cool book. I think it will add to what you're working on for sure, TR. I'm going to send you some slides. I'll take some pictures of the pages of, you know, the specific one on Madison County. But yeah, brother, I'm looking forward to what you get into next as you dig deeper because naturally you know we've only scratched the surface this is our first episode here so thank you for testing the waters with chad roman and i and tara of course here tara what are your final thoughts you've been you've been observant you've been a little quiet quieter than i'm used to but let's let's hear your thoughts mm. well i saw <laughs> processing but i realize how much I don't know and I'm yeah I don't know it's inspired me to look for myself so thanks go deeper yes and we will have our own episode one day on Connecticut where we are and we should say that at the beginning of every esoteric America we are broadcasting live from Connecticut not live there's no live audience Roman is your cue, Roman. Tell us where you're broadcasting I from. I am in Mendocino, California. Yeah. And Chad is broadcasting from Traverse City area, northern Michigan. Right on. And today we spoke about Anderson, Indiana, with our new friend Thomas, old friend of mine. He's been a kind supporter of the show, a big part of the Alt Media United. My family thinks I'm crazy family and brother it's been so fun to have you here breaking down your local area your neck of the woods i mean you know the the course of this show is up to the listeners right so if more people like thomas reach out to us with their own research that'll certainly help but if you're not prepared to do something like that don't be shy let us know who you think is qualified to be a guest on this show like i said earlier you can reach out to us at esoteric america podcast all one word at gmail.com and uh, yeah that does it for esoteric america boys i mean and gal <laughs> we got uh, we got into a lot. I feel I keep feeling like I don't want to wrap it up because I'm like, does anyone have any final questions? But <laughs> this is how the show is. We gotta we gotta square it away. Chad, know? are you on Telegram? I want to pick your brain, punch, bro. I feel like I didn't get to hear. From he you is guys. on. He is on Telegram. Cool. Yep. Yep. Absolutely, man. 
hit me up anytime. One last little clue for you. I'm not sure if you're aware. Are you familiar with there used to be a stone serpent mound crossing the river right mm. there at the mound site? Yeah, I just don't know what to make sense of it. I don't know if it's important or not, but I found that postcard image of it. Yeah, and I think I shared it on our Patreon with Mark. That's, yeah. But I don't know what it okay. is. Yeah. I, you know, cool, cool. it almost seems like maybe they were damming the river to some kind of degree that it's like some mechanism to control water flow. But I don't know if it has a more esoteric meaning behind it. But it's a serpent. It's kind of interesting in relation to Serpent Mound. Could be useful for fishing. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yep, absolutely. All right, boys. Well, here's the deal. Esoteric America is, in fact, the only podcast you're ever going to listen to for the rest of your life because it will. Oh, no. <laughs> you're going to listen to so much. I was kind of come up with a, a sweet outro there. I'm, I'm stoked to do this. And I think I have contact for the next human who's not too far away from Indiana. I'm not going to disclose the location yet. But yeah, it's going to be tying into some more military-based stuff. So be on the lookout for that, y'all. That's going to mm. be that's going to be probably one of our next up episodes. So. I love that Roman is yeah. getting ahead of us and and planning the next show already. I love it. So don't let that discourage you, folks. Email us. Let us know where you're at, and if you have something to add, if you know someone who would be a good guest on the show. But that's awesome. I'm looking forward to who we have on next but until next time folks be safe out there and uh, happy travels esoteric america brand new podcast hosted by yours truly mystic mark with my lovely girlfriend tara my friend roman host of the rising from the ashes podcast and our friend chad stemke author and researcher and of course listeners like you who will become the guest tr has been a supporter of my podcast my family thinks i'm crazy for about a year now and I'm really glad we were able to connect with him in this way. So if you're out there and you're listening, you support the show with your time, talent, or treasure, reach out to us at esotericamericapodcast at gmail.com. Let me just double check while we're here. Esotericamericapodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us at esotericamerica on Instagram. Let us know where you live and... If you'd like to be on the show, thank you so much for tuning in, folks. And please remember to support myself, Roman, and Chad as we put this show out together. It is value for value, meaning we can't do it without your support. So go over to Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo. Send us a donation. Let us know that you'd like to keep this show going. All of the description All of the links to donate to the show are in the description. Thank you.